Welcome to Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. Hey everybody! Welcome to Sunday edition of Bug Crowd. How you doing? Yo, yeah. Ready to bruh. Oh. <laughs> oh, that so. Monday morning show. Let's go. <laughs> oh yeah. So today uh, we're going to be talking to um, Casey Ellis in about an hour from Bug Crowd about um, just kind of everything we were talking about a bit before, more of the sort of hard-hitting questions, I guess, that we were going to save for him, um, mainly about, like, scope issues and uh, disclosure and things like that. Um, and then in the hour before, we wanted to have some of our researcher friends discuss uh, some of their um, sort of experiences, challenges, and everything in between. So um, we can get right into it, actually. Sick, if you want to talk a little bit about what we were talking about before, um, that'd be cool. Regarding what exactly, sorry? Um, well, actually, your recent write-up um, and any of the other sort of uh, challenges that came with that. Well, I tend to get the same challenges regarding everything, really. Um, mm-hmm. The industry in general, the, the wider industry, you know, um, not every company has a bug bounty program. So when you go and find these things, it's it's such a you know a struggle to actually report these things and um it's it's like the the industry does not understand security and the importance of it so if if you find something and you, you want to report it and they don't have like a a bug bounty program you know how like what's the first you know you just just, what send them an email (laughs) um yeah pretty much what you can do man (laughs) you can well nowadays with companies being a lot more uh active on social media you can normally get a hold of them a lot faster via that um but the problem with that is they you know they're just social media staff you know support agents um and they'll expect you to, you know, send technical details over a Twitter DM and say it'll get forwarded to, you know, the right department. But in reality, it never actually makes it there. So your best bet is to find a few emails, especially um, see if you can even find developers' emails from like LinkedIn and stuff and uh, contact them that way. Yeah, I've definitely found a disclosure before as well that, um, 
like I've spoken so one at one point I spoke to like the head of mobile engineering or something who was a Okay, sorry, I had to actually get up for a second. Um, have we shared your link in the chat? From your write up six? Uh, no, hold on. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's in the Discord chat. Okay. Oh, cool. Alrighty. Um, yeah, so this, this actually, this write up is really. Cool, but I you know I like the way that you had approached actually finding stuff. Um, but yeah, was there saying before? Actually, we were discussing this before the show. Of like, it's difficult for um, for companies sometimes if they don't have like a good security posture to actually take in um, bug reports and vulnerable reports. And that's a challenge that I see from a lot of people is they just don't know who to actually talk to. Yeah, it's it's hard to understand. Um, you know how to go about it when these corporations are so big and you need to speak to such a particular small team. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's even if they have a team. Yeah. So no, and it's, it's like trying to find a needle in the haystack. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, hey, ZLZ. So we can hear him. Oh, bye. Um, yeah, uh, no, I mean, that's something I see there's a lot of different people is like trying to find the exact person to talk to. And like, one of the things that I've always tried to do, um, when I try to report anything is to write it, write whatever my initial contact is in like the most generic form possible that I can explain enough that if it was like somebody who might be a little bit more technically savvy could be tipped off on, but something that somebody who might be in like a triage type or help desk or whatever kind of a situation they're in to respond to emails to actually be able to understand what you're saying uh, in more like layman's terms. So you want like somebody who's just yeah. anybody at the company to understand what you're saying without overloading them with like, and this specific API call and this like function of, you know, jQuery and also, you know, any sort of random, you know, or, or sending them with like code snippets also is not good either or PLCs. Yeah, because they just simply won't understand and it would be kind of overwhelming for them. Yeah, and that whole aspect of like uh, of like creating or uh, doing good communication is yes, doing good communication, uh, <laughs> communicating well is uh, is something that's definitely very important for a lot of uh, people to actually learn about when they start looking into this kind of stuff. Um, oh, ZLZ is having an issue with microphone. Um, on. Um, so yeah, but has anybody in here um, done any sort of uh, bug bounty stuff recently? Well, I could I could reiter reiterate uh, what happened with the Discord the other day. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome actually. So uh, Discord um, paid me a whopping uh, twenty five dollars for the bug <laughs> that I reported. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So you bought a couple twelves or what? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was I'm like looking looking back. It, um, I think the next time I submit a bug to uh, a company that has because they have a bug bounty program, 
um, I don't think I'm going to give it all away in, in the first email. You know, I think my initial and I don't want it to sound like extortion, but you know, essentially, I, I feel like I should lead off by saying, hey, you know, in th in theory, theoretically, like, what would this sort of bug be worth to you? <laughs> I think that's a good way to go about it. And that's a huge disconnect is everybody's going to try to undercut you at some point. So if you have information, you want to withhold it, and whether or not you want to give it to good or bad, like weigh both your options. Yeah, I definitely made that mistake one time. I, I was talking to Six about this um, before the show um, with a, I won't disclose the company, but it was a specific company's, um, like one of the platforms to for hiring and recruitment. And I'd found uh, an SQL injection in an older version of their software that was still deployed. Um, and it was deployed in a couple different spots. And so through this, I was able to do some interesting things. And I ended up sending them a report that had all of the screenshots and POCs and detailed explanation of the bug and sent it to their security team. And after getting grilled for like an hour on the phone and then telling me that it's from an old version of the software and that it doesn't matter and all this other weird mumbo jumbo and getting questioned about who I am and like what I did with the site besides this and like yada, 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 I got slapped with something that told me that they, all of my, uh, to called all of my information, like all my write up, my write up and my screenshots and everything, were now their intellectual property, and I wasn't. Al I'm not allowed to talk about it um, at all. And so I literally, if I hadn't done this and I had actually been able to sort of like egg them on a little bit instead of just giving them everything and then them just sort of like critiquing my my bone report and then yelling at me, um, I probably would have been able to like actually have gotten something done and maybe gotten some prize money or something. But yeah, it sucks, and it feels bad when you like you know don't actually get the information across, or you just you oversell yourself, or or you sell yourself. Yeah, you basically just like end up screwing yourself over that way, and it's not it's not cool. Yeah, and the whole like outsourcing for infosec and not having someone that's actually actually actively looking at stacks is pretty disturbing to me personally. Yeah, no, I think that's a huge disconnect for the industry as a whole. Yeah, like so, like you're talking about like companies with a lot of security posture in general. They just have like, exactly, exactly. Guy. Like the fact that they expect um, like in-house IT support to step up or take hold of that and grasp it for yeah. what it is and be able to yeah, no, automate. It's definitely hard, especially for like for like younger companies, you know, that might not have the capacity to do stuff. I mean, there's certain companies that are, you know, less than ten people that are running some major apps that we have, you know, and so it's it's hard for them to as far as like having somebody understanding things intimately as they do. But then sometimes it's just like the company is so big that, you know, how do you triage every single issue in all of your different projects after all of your mergers and acquisitions as well? Yeah, that too. And I'll never understand companies that, you know, want somebody to wear 10 different hats when it's not even, you know, applicable or it's not possible for them. Yeah. So you got that workload and, the fact that somebody hasn't actively thought about security in 2018 is pretty scary. Like he was saying, he was reporting a bug to a big corporation. You would honestly think that they would have an active red team of some kind. Yeah. It's surprising how many just don't, and they I don't even know where their emails go to. <laughs> you know, and then there's like, 
there's a couple of, of instances that I've had too where it's hard to find anybody to report to and you end up going through like a weird ticketing system where you go through like, you know, some sort of other back panel that assumes that you're like a customer or something and it just it's it's like definitely weird. Like I've actually had to like try to figure out how to get into login portals to be able to report something because there's no other contact in the company. It's just poor practice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, there was something that I found um, recently too that I was trying to report and after I reported it and you know gave them all this info for something that was pretty bad, um, they asked me like why I actually why I was uh, um, what's it called? Like they asked me why did I report the information to them? Like after I had told them about what it was and like how it's like bad, they they still didn't understand it. It's just like it's weird. I'm like you're the person who's the first line of defense in, in triaging this stuff, and you don't understand like why somebody would report a vulnerability to like help you. Seems weird. Yo, check Mike. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Oh my god, there we go. Hi. Hey, so yeah, I was just um gonna say before, like there's definitely been some bug bounty stuff where uh like there's one company that I I want to submit a whole bunch of stuff to, but all they offer is thanks. And it's like I've got these sick bugs which I won't say what they are, but they're worth money. And um I don't again, like Readme said, I don't wanna go about trying to extort anybody, but I feel that um, you know, it was a considerable effort of research i had to purchase the product you know and um when I, I said something about it on twitter and their uh the support team got back to me and they're like is there something we can help you with and it's like well actually i can help you like this is and they just didn't get it so yeah no it's 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 tough because I've seen that there was like, like there's there's some bug bounties on different platforms that do it for points and for thanks, and it's like I don't know it just it's it's tough because then once you get yourself out there, uh, and people are actively you know scanning everything, um, all of your assets, then you're just kind of sitting. So it's, it's it's a challenge, and I just really want to ask Casey about that and how he advises companies to set up their programs because, I mean. Doing just thanks for something that's like pretty big, um, you know, it might just let people find bugs under the guise of that, and then just being able to like exploit them elsewhere. It's a great, it's a great conversation about uh, free programs and four points programs because one of the big things is uh, right now, I think at this point, you can kind of decide what programs you want to participate in. Uh, I think it's really bullshit when companies uh, that are worth billions of dollars go and they have a bug bounty program where they take in serious, you know, vulnerabilities and they're, they're only giving thanks or maybe a t-shirt. Uh, I think, yeah. I think it is kind of bullshit when they don't want to allocate that because that's just on the company's behalf is that they don't really understand that that is something they should put time into. And more and more like over time, you, you notice companies, uh, they start, they will develop like programs like this and they will like kind of start to understand it. And one of the things that happens with that is like, either through, you know, like a year of just being ridiculed for being a really shitty, you know, uh, t-shirt program, they'll go and they'll start paying bounties or something will happen, like they'll get hacked and they kind of have to put more resources into it. Like a big thing with, uh, with like one of HackerOne's earliest customers is Yahoo. And uh, before they were paying for vulnerabilities, they, uh, they had a customer support agent who took in bug submissions. And uh, this guy found this really bad vulnerability in Yahoo Mail and he support, he submits it to the guy 
And then out of generosity, the guy's like, hey, I, I don't know. I can't really do much for you. Uh, we don't have anything set up, but I'll, I'll send you a T-shirt. So, you know, initially people thought it was like Yahoo had this T-shirt program, but it was just this guy. But the guy freaked out about it. And he's like, yeah, you know, I reported this really serious vulnerability in Yahoo. And they only gave me a T-shirt. And, you know, it's T-shirt gate. And then right after that, Yahoo's like, okay, we're going to step it up. And then they're actually like established. That. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. The thing is, like, I don't feel that a company should be obligated to pay for vulnerabilities. I feel like if they have defined terms and you read those terms, you agree, like, okay, this is what they're offering. If I find vulnerabilities, don't waste mm -hmm. your time. You know, like, you know, you're getting points only. It's not worth it to approach a company that's points only and be like, hey, man, you know, I know your points only program, but, you know, I found this critical bug. Yeah, there's there's so many available programs uh, public right now, right? Even even Valve went public, which is a huge, huge thing. You know, you find vulnerability in like uh, Cisco game servers or Steam's website, things like that. It's a paid vulnerability, right? Like, yeah. if you think you're good enough and you have something to offer, uh, then you know, take a take a look at one of these programs. But what I've seen in the past is people will build up. Uh, it's just like, you know, like hack the DoD, get some points, and then you can get some private invites. You know, and then you can build off that. And I think it's a uh, it's it's a really interesting ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. It's a huge gap right now, and anybody who's willing to like step into SMBs, I think it's going to make a killing. Um, whether it's based off bug crowd or based off something fresh, I think that's a very important thing, and I think that's a really good business idea for anyone to take hold of. I don't want to personally do it, but I'm just saying. I don't know. How do you? Uh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say it's quite obvious that uh, most SMBs don't have the money to actually pay for an in-house red team or uh, actively look at this stuff. So that was, that was my, that's all I want to say. Uh, what, what I see a lot of the time, uh, and uh, oh, uh, Boba Fett, are you, I, I see your mic. I, I don't want to be interrupting you. I don't know if there's something, my Discord's been acting up all day. I see your mic moving. I don't know if you're talking and I'm interrupting you or like what's going on. He was having mic issues earlier, so we'll see what happens. He died again. Gotcha. Yeah, but what I, what I was going to talk about is uh, I see a lot of people who they approach a random company and they do like a full pen test of them, right? They'll do hours and hours of work and do a company that has no defined security like guidelines. They don't yeah. even have you know, a security email. And then they expect something from the company, which I think is total bullshit, you know? Uh, I think if I think the company should thank you, and I think uh, it's really bullshit that Computer Fraud and Abuse Act like really does give the company this upper hand of saying like, "Hey, you know, it's a, your report's now intellectual property. We're gonna arrest you if you do it again." And I think that's kind of a bullshit approach for a company to take. But I think it it is, uh, on the other hand of it, a bullshit uh, approach for the researcher to think that the company should reward them for something they didn't ask for. Okay. Uh, that's why you know most most pen tests, you know, pre bug bounty is like. It's it's all contracts. You agree to something. You know you should agree if if money's involved. Like both parties need to acknowledge it. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um. It's yeah. It's funny. This is a new thing. I mean, this is something that like hasn't been around for that long. I mean, even like video penetration testing is. It's not a young field, but the the whole like having a vulnerability disclosure pro program rather than people just exploiting it and that's it. Like. You know that kind of thing is like uh, is new, and I feel like the whole like posture of it and the fact that it's you know global now definitely leads to a lot of really unique challenges that um, can't wait to hear what Casey has to say about it. But um, but yeah, I mean it's definitely an interesting sort of uh, thing with with how companies approach it. Without they they want to be on board with it, but they don't exactly know how to 
approach it in a way that will encourage people to actually do it, you know. But I think it's having discussions like this, having this kind of stream, having uh, you know people being able to talk and discuss directly with um, you know people like Casey is definitely good um, for showing like what what companies want and what researchers themselves want, like people like us. Um, Absolutely. I just had to uh, switch mics. But what I was going to say before was, um, like, a long time ago, I had a bug on Facebook uh, through when they had their Canvas app. There was Canvas apps and there's iFrame apps. Uh, And and through the Canvas apps, it it was like a JavaScript sandbox. So um, I broke the sandbox using uh, a Firefox technique where... Well, it was a Firefox bug where function and window were in the same namespace. So you mm-hmm. could statically call a val um, using, like, instead of the the, word, the keyword eval, you could put it just, like, you know, hex encode it. And then throw your parentheses at the end. And then, like, any payload you want is a string. So it wouldn't be, it like, yeah, it wouldn't be, uh, it would break the sandbox. So you'd have, like, the window element on Facebook. And I think it was, like, 500 bucks or something. And I was just like, what? Like, no, nah, I'll just keep it. And, like, I didn't end up doing anything with it, but I was like, I could, like, this isn't, I don't want to hand this over for 500 bucks. I, I didn't disclose it. It got patched. It actually got patched in Firefox, which is what really, like, fixed it. Um, but, yeah, I was kind of like, uh, it's not even worth going through all the effort to, like, get this sort of sorted out, like, whatever. Yeah, definitely. That's oh, very good. Oh, yeah, I, I was just agreeing with them. Uh, one thing that from a from a triage perspective, uh, I I could see maybe I know the canvas, uh, it's explicitly like out of scope on their thing, right? And obviously you bypass it and you got out of the sandbox. But I think what could have happened maybe just from like a guest or something like that uh, is maybe the person, the analyst on the other side of it saw that it was out of scope. And then I saw that, you know, maybe they did bypass something. So maybe it was like a word out of gratitude. I'm not too sure, but I feel like that may have been like a miscommunication or something internally. So I, I would forward this is really old. This was like before they were doing Hall of Fames and shit like this. So like it, at the time, I'm not even sure there was a bug bounty. This is like, yeah, this is many years ago. Like Facebook was new. There's a really, there's a really interesting conversation about, uh, oh, you know, like, oh, I'll just sell this on, you know, the dark, the black market or whatever. I'll sell this bug. And I think that does exist in some cases, but for the most of the time, like, I don't see that too much. Like, uh, people are like, well, why do people report bugs to platforms when they can just sell it? And uh, maybe for, like, 5% of bugs, 5 to 10% of bugs, I think that's the case. But, like, at the end of the day, when, when you approach bug bounty, like, realistically, like, a cross-site request forgery to update your favorites list on Yahoo or Google isn't really going to sell too much for, to an adversary. But uh, it's an interesting conversation for those, like, 5% of bugs, which, like, Hey, you know, I could uh, I could spread like some sort of JavaScript worm on Facebook using this. Yeah, the other thing about selling bugs on the darknet or like to nation states or whatever is like you, you're gonna need a broker or something like like, and you need contacts, you need to be established, you need a reputation that is your infamous reputation. You know, like if you just hit up like like you know if you Google like you, you Google who do I talk to at the FBI and you email them a pop and be like I'll sell you the weaponized exploit like. That's probably a terrible idea. I would recommend that nobody does that ever. Yeah, we don't, <laughs> we don't want anyone on Vault 7, for sure. Yeah, like, it's just kind of like, you can't just, like, people say, I'll just sell it to, like, the Russians. It's like, who? What Russians? Like, 
where are you going? Like, you know, find it. Like, go do it. I dare you. See, see how much money they even offer you if they offer you anything at all, and then hopefully, like, your family will be okay if it doesn't work. Right. Oh, you know what? I forgot to mention this really quickly. Uh, should I talk about the dark web movie? Yeah, he should talk about the dark web movie. Yeah, I completely forgot to mention it before. Okay, so guys, <clears throat> in all serious, um, yes, we uh, were very pleased to announce that um, the movie Unfriended to the Dark Web uh, is officially going to give Blood Crowd listeners a uh, free screening of this movie on Friday uh, in New York City. And so the the theater, like in the, the I told them that it was a the Friday night would work best, uh, and they are going to get back to us with information about the theater and, uh, you know, the actual details of how it's going to play out. But yeah, we tweeted at this movie. We told them that we liked their, their movie. We thought it was cool. And it seems like a cool concept. It's like a slasher film about the deep web. Uh, and yeah, they want us to like come. And so we're just talking about it now. Um, I don't, if you guys can say something to them on Twitter or whatever, too, to say that you heard about it from us or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to really mean. Um, we haven't really done to try to do any of sort of like tie-ins or sponsorships outside of things that are within our InfoSec community itself. But this is just like an interesting movie, an interesting concept. And yeah, I can't wait to see how it plays out. I'm just surprised that they, I'm really surprised that they reached out to us and they said that they would want, because I wanted to just do like a sticker or like a hoodie giveaway. Like, Imagine, like, a, a hoodie that just says, like, beware the dark web. Like, I don't know. I would just, like, wear that. But um, they do this one better, and they're like, oh, we want to buy out a whole theater for you and all of your fans. Uh, so, yeah. If anybody's in New York City, uh, please uh, hit us up on Twitter, because we will be um, – I'll be there. I'll be uh, at HopeCon with uh, a couple people, and um, I think, like, Ill Will and some other people from around that area are going to come as well. So if anyone's down. I think that, that, like, so if you watch the trailer, it's like knowing what the dark web it, what dark web is, which most, I'm sure anyone who's listening right now or listens to this later is going to be aware, like, how it all works, all that shit, um, you know, how you're browsing in websites and, and that kind of stuff. And it, it's not, um, this, if you're expecting that from this movie, just, like, drop that and just, just, just get some, like, you know, slasher, you know, depth mm-hmm. Final Destination plus, like, the public's view of the Darknet and just enjoy the movie. Don't try and... <laughs> you, you, you could probably pick it apart technically, like, all day long, but please don't. Yeah, just, no, in, the trailer, in the trailer for the movie, they, they have, like, a code flash, and it's just, like, a git diff of an old version of Samba, and it's, like, reply.c in Samba. And, I mean, if they were using, like, Eternal Blue or something as their attack vector to, like, uh, you know, get through... I don't know. <laughs> to like kill people. Yeah, it's probably like a translation for the general public, but it's good stuff to know. But you know, as far as that goes, as far as Thug Crowd, you're not going to find anybody here who's base level knowledge who's looking for something like that. That's yeah, the, that's the rough truth. <laughs> no, yeah, it's just, I, funny. What's really fat? I, I think what's funny is when you mentioned that they use it's like a git diff for like Samba. Like there, it, there's probably a bug in there for real. Like let's face it. Yeah. No, I mean. Eh. 
But it was just, it was interesting to see. Uh, and I mean, I definitely think that this will open the doors for us to do some more interesting uh, tie-ins with stuff. I don't want to ever become something that like we're like hyping stuff that we don't care about. Um, but I thought this was funny enough because I love like I really love like the way that people interpret uh, like the internet and hackers. And I think that it's interesting to see how people actually think that people like us think and how, you know, they think that like the deep web is like a thing that will like kill you somehow, you know? And I mean, people want, want that to be like the sort of general perception and I can see why, but for me, I don't know. I just think it's funny and uh, I can't wait to see what they actually do. I did draw a parallel though from the trailer and a talk from um, Zoz at an early DEF CON where uh, his his machine was stolen from his house and um, in, in the movie, uh, in the trailer, they show that the guy has this laptop that was left at an internet cafe, which mm -hmm. is how that's the beginning, right? And Zoz actually did like you know remote desktop into his machine that someone yeah. had stolen and find the guy which i thought that was, that was a pretty sweet parallel like it, it's you know it wouldn't be the same in real life as a movie but like there is that kind of like idea there it's pretty cool yeah no it's definitely interesting um it's just kind of the concept of like i mean i remember when i first like heard about tor and the deep web or onion sites like um you know i don't know how long ago it's like over 10 years ago um i thought that like it was going to be similar to like this way that this movie sort of thinks it is. And it's, it's interesting to see that there's people who like do still make those like red rooms and like other like random things that are just like scary for the sake of being scary. And it reminds me of like just old internet stuff in general, like old uh, scary shock sites and uh, just weird, weird, creepypasta type stuff. But like used to get shared, like I don't even know how I would find out about it, but like someone will post a link somewhere and it would just be this like horrifying thing. And, like <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I yeah, it reminds me of this like uh, website that got taken down, and all the art was done in MS Paint, and it was like elite MS Paint art. It's the best MS Paint art I've ever seen. And um, the stories that went with it, they all start off really innocent. Like it's like this. Uh, the the one that I can describe really quickly is a guy goes on a date with um, his uh, like acquaintance's sister and then they like end up going home together and then like it starts getting weird from there and then it turns into his like drug bender and like some crazy like all this yeah just the art and that just like goes crazy and you're like what the hell did i just read yeah and i mean <laughs> like you know that's the kind of you know, stuff where you're like what like that it was this was such a innocent story yeah no there's mean there's like i mean if you remember like things like any of the sort of like screamer videos. I used to love those a lot and I would like get scared of them and then also like send them to as many people as I could. But uh, yeah, like the ones where they would have like some sort of like innocuous thing and then this like horrifying like face and sound would appear. I don't know, it kind of reminds me of that. And like, I think that like people don't do that as much anymore. And I definitely think it's it's time to make the internet a little bit scarier again. Like Like horror scary, not like, Oh, we have like your grandfather's pacemaker, kind of scary. <laughs> you go deep enough, enough into those onion sites, you know, and there were people that would, um, and I don't know if it still exists. It probably does at some point, but there were people who would straight up kill people, like on live cam. Like people would just pay a certain price to join the room and take part in it. It's fucking sickening, and that's <laughs> the scary yeah. stuff that you don't really see much of anymore. But that's the it's a weird truth, man. People that disappear and get killed on the dark net. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 
it's it's interesting because there's a lot of stuff too, but like it reminds me of the same as like I don't know any sort of like playground urban legend kind of thing. But then there are actual commodity markets for like human traffickers and you know things like that and really just sickening things. But yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a, a landscape that people don't often know about. And a lot of stuff too now. It might have happened like a couple different times. It can be the instance that you described. Um, but then other times, a lot of it I feel like might be a little bit more hearsay because I've never seen any like, concrete proof about certain things. It's more of like I mean, conspiracy theories. I mean, we've definitely seen all kinds of gore type, like there was like terrorist beheadings and all kinds of stuff that, oh, yeah. that goes around, you know. Um, and I've actually seen like on Facebook, uh, like of all places, like, well, actually there was uh, the murderer on um Thanks, it was thanks Thanksgiving maybe a couple of years ago who like shot a man like on Facebook live stream. I mean, he didn't do that for money or anything. That he just went out and did it because he's a psycho. And I mean, that shit still exists in a different form. But I mean, like, yeah, I prefer to like not see it. Like, I I don't want like I don't need that shit in my brain. You know, I'm not saying I wanted to by any means. I'm just saying that existed and it's it's happened and it's disturbing for sure yeah 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 like uh there was a lot of gore like popular gore sites because it was edgy teen shit and you know like yeah there was somehow there was a lot of the content and that content wasn't you know it doesn't come from nowhere yeah no definitely definitely craziness i remember i used to go on a lot of really really scary sites a long time ago and like that was just like a thing that now like i don't know I don't know where to find that content anymore, and I don't look for it, and I'm glad I don't. <laughs> Definitely yeah, educate you. Take that stuff out and, like, really try to watch it, but it's just, like, why, you know? <laughs> yeah, this, know. Is the, this is the horrors of the Earth. Look. No, thank you. <laughs> this is the horrors of the Earth. Truly. Now, I mean, a lot of stuff, too, um, what I find as well, and we can get back to bug bounties in a second, but one of the things that I've I've been watching a lot, or a good amount with lately is uh, just like really silly YouTube conspiracy videos and just seeing some of the stuff that <laughs> oh, hello. Um, just seeing some of the stuff that people have misinterpreted uh, as like a conspiracy or as some like paranormal activity, but it's really just like you can you can like by watching the video you can tell there's like just some guy with like a bot or like some guy with like uh, some person with some weird puzzles that they were trying to do as like a challenge. And people think that it's a, you know, conspiracy or like some sort of like paranormal like thing or like some murderer. But like, they're like, I don't know who else would post like a bunch of like the same video over and over again with like scary images. Like somebody would like, you know, just, they found out about selenium and they can like, re like post a bunch of stuff like on YouTube really quickly. Like, I don't know. It's just, yeah. There's also like um, people who create content like uh, so whatever the flavor flavor of the month is whether it's UFOs whether it's um, fluoride in the water chemtrails like whatever's going around whatever's the the topic of the second they just post like uh, you know fake videos and stuff to just like mm -hmm. generate content and then it all links back and there's some you know whether whatever their advertising method is the same thing and and the people behind it. Uh, know it's fake, create it to be fake, and just like farm the people who want want to believe in it, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And it, it definitely gets a, a little bit scarier now that there's people that are just roped in by propaganda all day anyway. So like, it's kind of just like, oh, just make up whatever and just uh, test it out, you know? And 
see how many uh, likes I can get, and then change out this site that everybody's been sharing to like some weird like uh, like Viagra reseller website. Yeah, actually, do you remember that guy? He uh, his wife went to jail for manslaughter, I believe, for shooting him because he got a uh, encyclopedia which was quite thick, and he shot it like like you know thick with like at least five C's, and um, he shot it. They shot it first with an arrow as he held it in front of his chest, and the arrow didn't penetrate. After that, they thought it would be a good idea to shoot it with a fifty cal fucking Desert Eagle. And um, unfortunately, the bullet penetrated the, uh, you know, the encyclopedia like it was a piece of paper, which it is, and went into his chest and he died. Um, and that was totally in pursuit of Facebook like, of like, you know, YouTube likes, trying to get like yeah. YouTube famous. That's now, not really unfortunate in like the Darwinian sense, though. <laughs> right. In the, yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely, I feel like now there's the ubiquity of cameras is when we get more scary, weird content that just gets caught on film. But a lot of it, though, people say is like unexplained or mysterious, but a lot of it is just like use your best judgment um, and you'll actually fit, figure out like that it's not as crazy as you think it is. Yeah. Also, the, the, the fact that there's so many cameras kind of starting to disprove things, man. Like, why hasn't someone recorded Bigfoot yet? Right? <laughs> yeah. Are we seeing any real uh, UFO stuff besides that one military thing that the guy from Blink-182 shared? Like, everyone's got a phone now. Like, what's your excuse? Oh, I didn't hit record. Like, yeah, in the 60s, it was huge. It happened all the time. Like, every weekend, there's every military base, and then all of a sudden, like, nothing. Right? Other Jesus and the miracles. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, what? Like, you were saying earlier, uh, I was saying, like, a... Uh, I can definitely see why so many people like kind of want to believe in that stuff because it'd be it would be so cool if something like there's some like really huge secret you know someone's hiding it'd be really cool to be part of like you know I can definitely see why people like love that content because it feels really like you're on this you're this outside or this outside group that's like really it's something you're on the fringes you're special yeah well yeah. it was a little bit like the internet mystery right with the uh, the port that was just spewing data yeah. Yeah, same thing, but not. Yes, no, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, and then that's the other thing too is a lot of stuff is misinterpreted, and you're like, oh, you see a bunch of dot ru uh, tlds in like a weird data dump coming from some weird port in like Dagestan. Oh, that's probably just like a leaky tor node rather than like some government conspiracy, you know? Like, yeah. But um, yeah, so cool. Oh, we got a diamond now. Nice. Um, so yeah, um, Casey should be on. I didn't realize the time it was 20 minutes, so hopefully he gets in here. Um, but yeah, we can still talk a little bit more about bug bounties. Um, just everybody on Twitter, uh, well, I'll just share our thing about it real quick. Um, just, I guess, RSVP or say something to our host about Premiere. Hold on. Not really like bug bounties or kind of just like stay away from them? I'm just curious. I'd like to get like uh, some of that view, I guess. Does anyone not like bug bounties? Who are really against uh, bug bounties and like just really don't like uh, how they work. So I was just curious if anybody here was uh, really anti-bug bounty. I'm not anti-bug bounty, but I don't like them. Not anti-bug bounty, but like I definitely feel the way it is being an engineer. I like to step up my shit and pay attention to 
you know, my stacks and what I'm running. That's pretty cool. That's good to get that viewpoint. Yeah, I think um, the, the biggest problem with I've had with bug bounties, like I know um, ZLZ, we've spoken about this before, was just that the, like, the, w- the way that the triage was handled with mine was basically they just closed as dupes. And after that, I was like, are you kidding? And then, like, again, this one that um, uh, at the moment, like, it's they're going to give me thanks, but it's like, yeah, this is actually a pretty big vulnerability. You're going to have a bad time fixing it. Um, it's serious and, and whatever, like, assistance and whatnot so like i feel that um like the amount of effort that i'm gonna have to put in to receive the bounty is uh more than if i was to just go and do something else whereas i know that other guys like naffy for example has a lot of stuff he's been doing it for a while right so his his process is very much automated so he can go ahead and go and focus on like the meat like the meaty volumes that he finds and like you know bug chaining and stuff to get those good bugs. Whereas like I don't have that automation set up. So I have like this barrier to entry to like get on that level, you know? Absolutely. And uh, I worked, so I was like a analyst hacker one. So I did like a triage for about six months. Uh, but one of the things I did notice was like uh, most of these platforms, you know, they are businesses, bug crowd, hacker one, all these new platforms that are coming out. And uh, the fact that they're having on house triage teams to assess vulnerabilities is kind of a double edged sword because like, at the at the rate of uh, processing submissions, it's like you really don't have the same level as a team. Uh, you know, for instance, if the company is giving attention to a vulnerability, you really don't have the same uh, focus for each submitted issue. To the point where it's like uh, it's hard for, let's say, you work really hard on a specific issue, and it's determined that you know, for instance, uh, let's say cross site request forgery is out of scope, uh, and you say, hey, we don't really we don't really care about this. Uh, and let's say you find, you know, cross-site request forgery to account takeover or something serious. And you say, hey, you know, like, I know this is out of scope, but I want to submit it. And then you have an analyst say, oh, cross-site request forgery, tick two boxes, and it's it's out of scope, so we're going to go ahead and close this. I think that really kind of sucks. And uh, there should be better, like, one, uh, the whole the whole process, I think, of triage should be kind of, uh, time should be spent on that, and that should be fixed. But, like, also, like, remediation, and if you want to reopen and challenge that, that should definitely be, like, something to be looked into. Yeah, so when um with the ubiquity stuff when I like so after uh, all the bug bounty stuff happened, then I finally got paid and all that, and they hit me up on Twitter. And I went out to Denver and met with them and sat in the room with one of the devs, um, and that was quite productive in in one in one sense. Like um, and I think they did a really good job by wanting to like meet me, sit down and talk about the multitude of stuff that we got fixed. Um, but there was a few things that I really had to. It was a little bit of a battle um, just with the dev because, like, there was a mediation between, like, obviously myself and and the dev directly um, where I'm like, well, look, this is kind of how this works. And he was kind of like, no. And it was it, it was just, a bit, you know, difficult to get the point across, um, specifically where, like, in the, I guess, I'm just trying to start, decide what I'm going to say here. Um, so one of the things was like there was a, a null pointer exception where um it was due to the compiler. So the code that we were looking at on the screen was code that I'd run through uh, the Java decompiler, like a Java decompiler, and um we're looking at you know the code that's now being generated by the compiler, not the code that the dev has written. And so what I'm trying to explain is not what this guy's familiar with. And I think then if you like extrapolate that back to the uh, you know the triage team within Hacker One understanding um, 
like the stack and and whatever uh, you know services that um, that company is using is, is pretty hard for an external party to like get in there because they'll see the null pointer exception, but then they're not like translating that again across back to that dev is what they're going to be like. The dev is going to be like, what? I don't, I don't see this. Like this is not the code I'm looking at. And then who's like who's going to fix it? Like how they're going to handle it? It's like pretty hard, I think. It's where a DevOps person steps in and tells them to do their fucking job. <laughs> Seriously. We, you'd hope. Yeah. <laughs> I deal with that a lot. Uh, how do you make money like as a living being a bug bounty finder? Like how mo- how do you know how much time you spend on what projects or what like path before you contact switch to make actual like living off this like career? Danny, you in the shower? I think that's the uh, call bridge, actually. I, I think I sort of heard. Uh, were you talking about? Uh, you're talking about like how does how does a bug bounty hunter determine like how many hours a week, how much, and like if you can live off bug bounties, or if you want to know what they time on, like say you have an RFP or something, like I don't know, most execution bug is like ten thousand, and you can't find anything within like a day. You have like a hard limit where you're like, okay, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna switch on to something else because, like, you know, if you don't find that, you don't get the money, you don't get the rent. Like, maybe this might be worth time to put into a new bug to try to find. I'm just wondering how that kind of like is it just like the skill of the job? So I, I think what he's saying there is like, if you're trying to if you're trying to make a living off bug bounties, you know, how do you, how do you uh, manage? your time to to say like i've spent this much time looking here but i've got to pay the rent so like when when do i move on like how do you how do you balance that that's a good point so i think it's go ahead so okay uh and two will start talking uh anyway but uh I think it's 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 definitely I wouldn't ever really suggest someone to do bug bounty full time unless they're really uh you know confident in themselves uh but like, see it as is like it's it's really inconsistent, and that that's completely true. Uh, I think if you want to do bug bounty full time, one of the big things is like having a pillow case, like a pillow uh, of let's say you earn you know twenty thousand dollars and you have that to rely on as you go forward. Uh, when I was in high school, when I was in like my junior year of high school, uh, I worked at Dairy Queen like forty hours a week as a just I I I did I was like a cashier, you know, I made nine dollars an hour and. Uh, I, I got into bug bounty and I got like my first bounty, which is like 500 bucks. Uh, you know, obviously I didn't have too many expenses, but I was doing bug bounty like three, three hours a day, uh, five nights a week. And I was making, I think, I think that year I earned anywhere between like 70 and $85,000. Uh, so, I mean, realistically, like if I wanted to do that full time, uh, if you really wanted to get into that, I think if you had that pillow of money uh, and you wanted to go forward off that and pay your rent and things like that, it would be good to, just play it safe. Uh, there are a lot of people who do bug bounty full time, and and most of those people are in like I would say like uh, not in the United States, more like third world countries. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people India, Pakistan, uh, people who are working like full time, and you could look into more statistics about these hunters. Uh, report was really good, and one of the questions it asks is like, are you a full time bug bounty hunter? What's your salary? Things like that. Uh, but I think when it comes to like managing, you know, if you're if you're looking at a particular asset. And let's say you're like three or four hours into looking at this asset and you feel like you're not going to find anything. Uh, I think it is, it really is a, 
a thing about experience, right? One of the things, uh, Nafi, uh, as you mentioned, Nafi, he's a really successful bug bounty hunter. Uh, what he what he said, one of his focuses is is uh, finding these boxes, which are uh, they found like three or four like uh, vulnerabilities that are critical, or like the box and the coding and all that is just bad. Uh, focusing on those boxes instead of like doing crazy reconnaissance and finding like one vulnerability in each box. Uh, but knowing when to move on is definitely a thing about experience. I would say uh, if you're focusing on let's say like some crazy asset and you don't find anything for like two days, you know, maybe it's good to move on. But I think if you feel like you're on the brink of something, then keep working at it. Smell the blood in the water. Yeah, absolutely. So Casey, hello. How we doing? Bug crowd on thug crowd. Good, good, good. Yo, yo, yo. Hello. Um, you guys were just talking about the whole, can you make a living off this stuff question? Is that is that right? Yeah. I think I chimed in halfway through it. Yeah, yeah. I think what what uh, what Sam was just saying is is pretty spot on. Like the thing that we've we've heard a bunch of folks say that are trying to work towards, you know, this not being a hobby or like extra cash, but but actual subsistence income. Exactly what he just said. Like this whole idea of saying, okay, you know, if this is a job, here's the hourly rate that I want to try to get from this job, um, and then kind of doing the math and and not getting too strict about it because there is that whole element of you know feeling like you're close to something and needing to push a little bit harder, but being a little bit disciplined about you know not spending a week on something that's uh if if that doesn't fit into your kind of hourly rate that you're trying to go for. And I think one of the things that is really intriguing to some of these people who uh, if you look at bug bounty from a distance, you see like the really popular how I made forty thousand dollars from a Google remote code execution. And then you see these people who are like, all right, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make 40 grand off this Google remote code execution. So yeah. they go and they spend, uh, you know, two or three weeks on Google. But chances are they're not going to find that because that's such a peculiar, you know, really, really driven bug to find. But uh, what I think people I mean, that, that, that goes back to that goes back to what kind of skills they've got, though, because I think. Yeah, you know, you're you're exactly right. Like the success bias, the stories of the 40k bug or like the 100k bug or whatever, draws a bunch of newbies out of the woodwork and, and gets them working really hard on stuff. And they don't necessarily have the skill to find that kind of vulnerability. But what it can also do is attract people that that can. One of those things, I, you know, I heard you talking about, uh, you know, Nafi's techniques and and some of the people that kind of subsist off this stuff. It really does come down to knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're best at, and actually optimizing your workflows for that. And then as you're doing it, trying to trying to learn new stuff and improve as a hacker. That's kind of my, my view on it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like, uh, I don't know, people people come in with, with the same sort of, I mean, I know that it, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit kind of bugs uh, as far as like when you do your basic enumeration and, and other things like that. But it's hard sometimes for people to understand that bugs nowadays are very complicated and we're not just going to find like an open like php my admin somewhere and like you're i mean you might but it's not going to be the technical it's not going to be the thing that's going to happen it happens it happens a lot more often than you think to be honest but yeah yeah but i mean like yeah i mean that, that would happen but that that'd be something that would be very very quick to find you know totally. and so a lot of things people are are dealing with that especially with some of the more complicated applications of things like you know, really, really robust APIs and really, uh, you know, just there's a lot of different complicated uh, business logic at hand. And th that's where bugs do lie. But I guess it's, it's 
it's tough because sometimes people don't understand the full level of scope that actually needs to be covered when you are doing this sort of thing. And they might just get intimidated by it. And then it, it, it leads people to not want to get involved. But I mean, that's, that's going to come with, with any sort of thing like this. You have to have a certain level of skill, I guess, and dedication to it. But it also like, I feel like a lot of people get deterred from it. And I don't think it should be a deterrent to, you know, I think that they should be like, oh, what the hell is this? No, 100%. You know? And I think it's it's a funny thing because, you know, for some reason, um, the bugs that are less critical and, and more common uh, tend to be easier to find as well. Like, I, I don't know if that's by design or if it's just coincidence, but, you know, the, the harder stuff and the more critical stuff tends to be more rare and it takes more time to execute and, and you know, basically identify and build an exploit on top of, right? Um, yeah. Meanwhile, you've got, you know, things like IDOR or like simple reflected XSS or whatever else that's like literally fucking everywhere. Um, and, and people can actually get into this and point it out in a way that's useful to the, to the person who's running that application or that, that business. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not necessarily rocket science or the highest paying bug. It's not, you know, the latest thing in the world. They might, they might feel like it is and that's great because that's going to cause them to learn more. And, um, yeah. but yeah, like the whole idea of, you know, rewarding like the as sam said before like the the, the forty thousand dollar or the hundred thousand dollar or the whatever like superstar vulnerabilities that's a good thing but it does create this kind of success bias that, that can actually discourage newbies from getting in and and um having to go i mean yeah. friends race would have a show by now <laughs> yeah well there, there's that as well like i think you know th there is a bit of a rock star thing um, happening in, in, in this space. And, and I, I do think that there's a lot of credit where credit is due for the people that are doing really good work. Um, but, you know, if that sort of tips over, like gets a bit too top heavy and tips over to the point where people that are, you know, not in that kind of level of, of bug hunting, um, you know, where they're feeling discouraged from even starting in the first place, I think that's that's a failure on our part. I, I think so. We keep a close eye on. <laughs> I think that if you look at like bugs that come out of like Tavis, right, where he did recently, like uh, Google, uh, not, not Google, um, Blizzard, uh, the Blizzard app, then uTorrent, and like some other stuff, like all DNS rebinding attacks, like all in one go. That's um, it, it's really interesting because you look at it, and he's figured out the bug class, and he's just looked in the right place. Now, is it like the first figuring out the first one was probably like he was like whoa, and then like the others probably got kind of just like chained down you know like lesser and lesser so i guess it could be the same if you're like that bug bounty guy and you like go oh i found this dns rebinding attack let me go check these other things i've previously checked and see if that also is affected you know exactly like the thing i mean you know speaking speaking from the perspective of someone who watches a lot of this go on um you know the people that tend to be most effective like they can they can do all sorts of different types of hacking. They understand, you know, code. They understand vulnerabilities, exploitation, like thinking like a bad guy, all that stuff, right? But they've got their like top three. They, they've got their things that you know they really love. They've done recent research on, or they're just really good at owning. Um, and, and then what they'll do is they'll think more critically about those three things in terms of where those vulnerabilities might exist. Minds their workflow to go out and find it. Uh, yeah, so and I think that's what Tavis does because you, you're exactly right. Like he he got you know on a tear with password managers for a while there. Like he was hammering antivirus for a bit, uh, and, and when you look at the techniques that he used for the bugs that he disclosed, there was a lot of similarity between all of them because what he what he'd identified is the fact that you know, here's the thing that engineers commonly fuck up, 
Um, so it's probably out there. So let's go find it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw your. Uh, I forget who actually done it. Was it Jay Haddix who did a stands thing on on uh, the top phones that you guys have found over the past like year or so? Um, it's interesting to see like the kinds of, of bug classes that were actually the most common, like X stuff. And it's it's phones. a funny thing too because I do think you know out there in 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 terms of the uh, the the broader perception of, of bug bounty programs, like there's this whole kind of idea that you know, all we find is XSS or, or like, like really simple remedial issues. And, and that's, that's true from a quantity standpoint, but that's mostly because they're more common yeah. <laughs> and, and, they're, and they're easier to find. Like, you know, if, if you just look at the math and, and kind of the quantities of, of different classes, it actually doesn't tell the full story. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, like what we're talking about now in terms of, you know, risk versus reward and kind of the effort of going in and, and pursuing a vulnerability, like that's, that gets even more interesting when you ta start talking about like handsets and, and cars and medical devices and shit like that. Like that's when it gets really deep and, and you know, you, you're starting to talk about like weeks or months of work to get a single thing to pop. Yeah. Right. Um, but if you can get to that point, um, you know, we just, <clears throat> excuse me, we just uh, processed a reward for Samsung for, for 114 K um, and they're running a, a, a bounty on their mobile devices. So I can't talk about the bug, you can kind of get a feel for what was going on there. And it's that type of thing where, you know, it, like the difference between finding XSS in a platform and finding a, a like thing in a handset, the same sorts of skills that, that, you know, are being drawn on, like that, that same kind of curiosity, that same kind of hacker mentality, pull shit apart, put it back together, you know, like think bad, but do good, all that stuff. Um, but there's just you know different levels of difficulty involved and different levels of creativity from the people that are doing it that gets brought to bear. There was uh, one bug in um, it came from originally came from Uber and it's uh, one of the challenges for um, like server side template generation on Pentester Lab. Shout out Pentester Lab and Louis. Um, but uh, that particular bug was was interesting because it's this like template engine and it seems pretty. Not that, um, you know, you couldn't get that far with it, but it turned out that you could actually move through, like, the Python references right back up to every Python library that's currently loaded, including, like, OS system, like, Popen, and eventually, like, you got RCE through it. Um, yeah. And, like, it, it's just on in Uber where it was originally found. Like, you start reading the bug report, and it's like, oh, this looks like nothing, and then by the end, it's RCE. You're like, whoa, that's actually sick. And I think that's that's part of it as well. Like, you know, we we've seen like the weirdest shit chained together um, to get a, a really you know significant impact to 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 a company or to a business, right? Um, so I think this whole idea that you know you can have fairly trivial things as as your initial entry point, and then once you get past that, you you find other things that are more critical and more impactful, and you kind of you know pull them together, and all of a sudden you've got. A, a big problem, right? Like that's that's one of those areas where you know I think this whole idea of um, you know just optimizing for RCE and like injection and, and and stuff like that that's that's where it's a bit flawed because that's not the full story. Yeah, we were talking about this um, last week as well. Like you know if you hoard a whole bunch of say XSS or you know something low, they're probably footholds for the good shit. Like like you're saying, like they're they're the footholds for the good shit. You know, so yeah, maybe. Yeah. Don't yeah. report straight away, you know? 
hold off for a second. And what they also do is they tell you about the development culture of the company, right? Like if, if you're seeing like dumb stuff all over the place, then that's a pretty clear indicator that, um, you know, security, like secure code training or secure, you know, development kind of just basically getting your engineers not to do dumb shit is not a part of that company's culture or, or how they invest in their business. So that, that actually gives you an indicator of what their overall posture is going to look like right so yeah it's like it's all this big it's it's actually far bigger than i mean it, this is the challenge of it because we deal in specific issues right like one person gets paid one bounty for one bug and that bug gets fixed but what that one bug is doing is telling the company a bigger story around you know all of the other problems that it might have and it does the same thing on the supply side as well yeah, I wanted to ask you like specifically about engineering as a whole and where you see the gap in training or where you see the gap in experience because a lot of these positions, whether they be, you know, system DevOps or network engineering, you see a lot of requirements that are like 10 plus years of experience where as 10 plus years in the past 10 years has evolved so damn much, like there's no possible way these engineers can yeah. keep up. And I think that's a huge damn gap. And I think it's important, like as far as what you're doing on an enterprise level, you're just pointing out the flaws is where their hiring process or where their HR has literally failed them. It's, it's, it's HR, but like when you think about it, it's actually economics really that's, that's at fault because you can, you can build a product, not give a shit about security. That product will still work and people will still buy it, right? So, yeah. you know, and, and then in the middle of doing that, you're trying to figure out how to do security well, and that slows getting the product up, out to market down. So it gets deprioritized. And like, I don't think that's a, that's a right thing or a good thing, but when you look at, you know, the incentives that are in play, that's kind of the nature of things right now. So I, I understand why that happens. Um, and you're right too, like things do change, you know, by the second. I think the big thing that's changing in terms of engineering like, you know, you, the startups and tech companies are the obvious example of this, but it's starting to happen in the enterprise as well, is this whole imperative to push startup stuff out to market, you know, more quickly. Um, and, and I think like Agile, DevOps, like the whole, you know, CDCI, like just getting stuff out, pushing code more frequently and keeping it fresh, that's a good thing ultimately. But if you forget security as a part of that process, then you're in for a bad time. I was, uh, I was recently speaking with a what do you say, an accounting firm, let's just say that. And um, they were, their, their product's been around for a while, um, you know, what, 10 years plus, and um, they're building out their SecOps and NACOP, uh, AppSec and stuff. Um, and so I was, I was talking to them about that. And, you know, one of the things that I brought up is like, it's great that you're doing all this new security stuff, that you're implementing all this stuff, you, train, you want to train your developers, you want to look at like your SecOps options, you want to like build it out and do all the good shit. But at the same time, if you guys got owned tomorrow, you've got these customers that are like never going to leave. So like while they're doing the right thing, if they didn't do the right thing, their customers would probably stay with them anyway. And it's like, I guess that's a yeah a business no, decision. I saw, Yeah, and it is. And like all of this is. Like we're, we're, we're talking about, I mean, you know, it's funny because like I'm, I'm passionate about like bullies and bugs and people that find this shit and, and, and getting into that stuff and trying to stay semi-sharp myself, like all of that. But at the end of the day, we're just an extension of, of risk within the business, right? And they're making risk decisions when they hire someone like that. There's, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on where this is just one piece in the broader puzzle that a, that a company's trying to put together. So, yeah, it, it's good to keep that in mind. I think it's also good to keep in mind that it gets deprioritized a bunch. So we do 
you know, need to make a little bit of noise <laughs> to, to encourage people to give a shit. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's a funny thing because I think, you know, in terms of losing customers, um, you know, I was on uh, the Many Hats Club chatting with uh, Stu yesterday and, and called out the fact that, like, when I started Bug Crowd and landed in the USA for the first time, that was the same month that Snowden dumped the docks on the NSA, right? Um, and the thing that that triggered, apart from a whole bunch of, you know, political, you know, all, all of that stuff, was that it got the average person thinking about hacking in a different way. It's like, okay, you know, being attacked through my computer used to be this kind of ephemeral, you know, subject of movies that I don't really understand or whatever being told um, by people that I trust that it actually impacts me directly. And I think like the whole, you know, security industry across the board has has taken a pretty strong lift ever since that, that kind of moment. Um, just because, you know, the average consumer is more aware of the fact that it's a thing. So... Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Like, that's is that going to change? Is you know this suddenly going to become really easy for us? I'd like it to. I don't. I don't know that it will. But um, shifting. It's uh, interesting. Um, I, I've um, I've been trying to do this from the inside, like a lot of what you guys are trying to do. But you know, small companies, so three hundred and under. So a lot of times it's like, hey, baby's first, you know, security yeah. program of any sort. Like, you don't have any employees. Let's let's try to get them. Um. From, from your perspective, it's unique because you've got a lot of different tools that I don't necessarily have to try to push the company in different directions. But uh, there's a lot of times when, I mean, obviously in a state where where what what uh, Bug Crowd is, is helping them do doesn't necessarily allow uh, internal changes at a company that are important for these these types of uh, improvements, cultural improvements to happen. Uh, I'm assuming you've run into that quite a bit uh, when you, you have a, a company who just needs internal change, but you're not able to kind of approach that or push that. So I don't know. Do you have any uh, commentary on that? Uh, any ways you've yeah, helped no, solve no. that? Totally. It's, well, and, and, and as to as to solving it, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <We have> <laughs> um, but, you know, in terms of my experience of it, like we, we did have a period, uh, you know, with, with Bug Crowd where we decided to try uh, letting people run vulnerability disclosure programs for free on the platform. So it, it's, it's this whole idea of like, yeah, you can just sign up, you know, get an account, do all that stuff and, and off you go. Um, and, you know, you're on your own. Like you, you can basically make this work. The software is going to help you as much as it can, but you're not going to get, you know, our kind of consultative help uh, around making it successful. And, and pretty much what that triggered was a bunch of startups um, jumping in saying, yeah, cool, I'm going to sign up for that because I want to be cool, right? <laughs> but uh, but they didn't care. Like, they actually didn't care. So so they're yep. getting all of this input from hackers of all, all sorts of different, you know, incompetency and maturity out there on the internet. Um, but they ultimately were in it more for the press release and being able to say that they were part of the cool club. <laughs> than they yep. were about actually getting that feedback. So we shut that down. We, we basically killed that off after about three months. <laughs> nice. Yeah, definitely um, with... Um, like, you know, like, you I mean, I think that's the golden rule of trying to convince people, like, don't sell security to people that don't care about security. Like, fuck yeah. that. Let the, let the bad guys teach them. Yeah. Has there been any uh, obvious sign you've seen with, with, with customers where even with now you're, you're managing it, but what are, what are some of the obvious signs from a company that they just, this isn't going to work? Um, like response time is the biggest. 
Okay. I, I think people that, that just ignore stuff that comes in, um, you know, we, we do a fair bit on the front end to make sure that there's as little for them to look at as like possible, right? Like they can yeah. look at everything that goes through the platform, but you know, we, we basically triage everything that goes through um, in a way that allows them to, to, you know, apportion time efficiently and things like that. Um, if there's someone even in spite of that who is pretty much belligerent in terms of how they're, how they're <laughs> responding to the issues that we think are important as well as the hacker, then that's a bad, that's a bad sign. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's one example. I think you know payments. Like a lot of people talk about, oh yeah, you're not rewarding enough. I, I actually don't think the market's mature enough for that to correlate yet. Um, okay. I think some companies get it, some companies don't, and like the people that are that are going out and um, you know offering huge rewards. Like there's folks that are doing it well, but you got to remember that you know Facebook came out and said, yeah, we're going to pay out a million dollar bug. Actually, it was more than that, but. Yeah, and they're not going to do that. Like, it, like, and you know, the like the uh, the Google for a period of time talked about an unlimited upper threshold on their reward, which is logically untrue because they have a market cap that, you know, if they paid more than that, they wouldn't be a business anymore. So it, it's there's all of this different stuff where it can kind of go in both directions. Um, but yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, I think. You know, as this evolves and goes forward, bug pricing will start to normalize. I think where a company is, you know, different classes of issue will start to be a reflection of their maturity. I, I do think we're a ways off from that at this point. Nice. Cool. Thank you. So oh. uh, I, I have a, just as, as someone who, like, I, I just submitted my first bug bounty uh, thing the other day, but I, f I find it a little bit intimidating when, uh, you know, I look at the list of uh, open programs and I think like, man, like there's like thousands of people looking at these companies right now. I'm, I'm probably not going to find anything, you know, like, do you have any like words of encouragement, you know, for me? <laughs> well, people do. I think people do. Um, you know, the ones that find stuff, and, and this goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier around like understanding what you're best at and going off and doing that um, because maybe no one else is good at what you're good at. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's one of those things that we've seen. And this is where, you know, I, I, I think this um, whole idea of, of group of people to, to give this feedback and not just individuals is so powerful is it's because everyone thinks differently. Like we're not talking about, you know, issues that were put there on purpose necessarily. We're talking about mistakes that take people with a, a kind of an adversarial mindset to find. And um, yeah, maybe you think differently to others and you can you can go off and do that. So, I mean, I, I'd keep going with it. Um, obviously, I'm going to say that anyway, but, <laughs> you know, what, what I have seen is, is, you know, a lot of kind of surprised reactions from people that have looked at, at programs that have been around and, and public for a long time, and they found things that to them were quite simple um, that were actually missed by everyone else, same as everyone else. So there's that. I think the other part of it is that you know new code and, and new changes are being deployed every day into a lot of these environments. So um, the fact that it's been picked clean, like quote unquote, by the, uh, the public crowd doesn't necessarily mean that it hasn't been changed 
since the last round of, of fixes? I think as well, like um, when you, a lot of companies, specifically startups, will be like, oh, bug bounties, they're like the, you know, the golden golden gun. Like they're going to kill all our vulnerabilities and that's our security, like bolt on afterthought. Um, whereas like in reality is we've, we all know, like, you know, it needs to be, like you were talking before, at the developer level, the developers writing the patterns, the the DevOps doing, like, the CICD correctly. Like, there's all these things that need to come together to make it work. But, um, you know, from a non-security company's perspective, like, bug bounties will fix everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, and they won't. Like, you actually have to, you know, change what you're doing. I mean, like, and this goes back to what we were just talking about around, um, you know, engineering culture. I think... There's two things that happen when a when a vulnerability gets submitted from the outside world, right? One is that the company knows it's there and they can actually fix it, like tactically. Um, but ideally, what also happens is they have what we call the oh shit moment um, at, at Bug Crowd, where it's like, hang on a sec, a kid halfway across the world just hacked our stuff. Yeah, you know, he's friendly or she's friendly, but neighbor do and and are they malicious or not so all of a sudden they start to it's not just about finding the vulnerability it's about actually creating more awareness of the threat yeah Casey you've given me a lot of uh, a lot of good advice and a lot of good reason to get into consulting and I appreciate that and it's <laughs> awesome to talk to you on multiple levels and be able to you know hear your opinion on it no, for sure. I think like there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff that can be done in in this space. And you know, I'm obviously a big fan of what we're doing um, at Bugcrowd as a business. I'm a I'm a bigger fan of this idea of of you know as many brains as we can borrow, right? Like I think you know cybersecurity is fundamentally a human problem. Like technology just makes it go faster, right? So so the whole idea of being able to um, you know, see more people and, and more sets of creativity be applied to that problem and actually, you know, make the thing safer. Like, that's a good thing. So I had a question that we had been discussing for, um, and wanted to bring it up with you. Um, it's specifically like how to deal with issues that people find that are out of scope. So like there's there's a lot of uh, programs that have strict scopes, but somebody might find something that is pretty critical that might be in like say like a build system or something, but isn't technically in scope, but is found in the course of doing a vulnerability. And so if there's no infrastructure in place or they are rejecting out of scope vulnerabilities, um, how does bug crowd? I guess like if you if you, let's say the scenario is it's something that you know would be bad and that you know that they should care about, but it's not in the scope of their bug binding program, how did you communicate to them the importance of this the, and the business impact for them to actually act on it? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, you know, basically I have to give the uh, the consultant's answer here and say it depends because <laughs> sometimes there's organizations that, you know, we start to realize have a more proactive stance around security in general and and we know that we can land that message and actually get a good outcome for them and the hacker that's involved um i think short of that you know the, like scope is is not i mean it, it's a funny thing because i you know one of the <clears throat> the complaints around scoping that i get a lot is this idea that attackers don't really care right which is absolutely true um but at the same time as a business you can't go from not caring to caring about everything 
you know, overnight. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like you have to, you have to kind of ramp that up. You have to, you know, build out your processes, do all that stuff, like teach your engineers and your security team how to get this kind of feedback from the outside world, and so forth. And and you know, the the challenge with that is that if you do it too fast, you tend to freak people out, and they they just walk away from it. So. Um, it's it's an interesting thing because I think you know ideally in an ideal world from my perspective um, scope really kind of wouldn't exist unless you're an organization saying hey I've got this new thing I want you know ten people to come and hack it <clears throat> and it's more of a crowdsource pen test than, than yeah. a bug bounty program or or a vol, or a vol assessment bond uh, disclosure program rather so yeah I mean it's it's a, it's an interesting thing I think you know what we try to do is is take everything on its merits like. If there's a scope that's been very clearly defined, then we try to help the customer defend that scope, um, and that starts to relate back to issues around, you know, safe harbor and making sure that you're hacking the right things and not kind of falling afoul of the law in the process as well. Um, but there's there's a reinforcement that happens back to the uh, the hackers that are submitting the issues that's important as well. But yeah, yeah. it's it's really like it's it's an art, not a science, right now. <laughs> And, mm -hmm. and and once again, it's one of those things where okay, we're dealing in kind of unintended consequences here. So, we we do the best we can to to make things uh, you know safer, um, but there's a lot that goes into that. So um, down the line, like where do you see like do you see bug bounties as still being uh, sort of the way they are today, uh, or do you see more of like an integration with the companies or like with companies who you're involved with, or like what's the uh, What's the future look like for bug bounties? Do you think? I think, I, well, like there's there's two sides to it, and this is the part that's that's you know to me really interesting. Um, there's this whole idea of the fact that the internet should be able to to tell a company when something's wrong. Basic responsibility um, that that is starting to become more established and more normal. That that conversation should be able to take place. It should be safe. There should be channels for it, and and the company should be responsive um, to to that kind of you know input, right? Um, the other side of it is is you know frankly it's labor arbitrage. It, it's it's the fact that you know there's not enough uh, security people to go around in the first place, and then you've got this whole issue of the fact that one person being paid by the hour is never going to be as smart as a crowd of people, uh, you know, being incentivized by results. And I think the market's starting to catch on to that. So. Yeah, to that effect, I think happen is the vulnerability disclosure. So this whole idea of, you know, forget about the reward for a second, you're just going to be able to found something and you're also going to be able to be in a position where you can look for things and feel safe as you're doing it. Um, I think that's going to normalize and become basically ubiquitous um, over, you know, the next, I don't know, five or 10 years. But I actually think that's going to tip from being the thing that, to the thing that you would if you don't do over the next you know year or two um and then i think with with bug bounty programs and this whole idea of like creating incentives and actually directing effort which goes more to the access to labor thing that i mentioned um you know it, some people are going to do it some won't um i i do think it's going to grow a bunch because you know as i said before there's not enough people to go around and i think hiring security people is is a problem that basically everyone has at this point so yeah, it, it's it, it you know growth is is really the um, question, but you know definitely the ubiquity of vulnerable disclosure and and the growth of bug bounty. 
you mentioned a lot of uh, like third world guys as well, like guys in um, developing comp- countries who have now got access to the internet. They're learning about hacking and stuff. I guess with their development as well, that just brings a whole bunch of new talent to the table that will hopefully drive that as well, you know, because a uh, $100 payout to me isn't shit, you know, like I'll be like upset. But, yeah, but if you leave somebody it else, off, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one because we actually see that like it's funny because there's a there's a bunch of hackers from you know countries with lowest lower purchase power, uh, power sorry lower purchase power parity so like third world in, in essence but you know where you can buy a Big Mac for thirty cents instead of five bucks right um, who who come onto the platform and and engage in bug bounties right across the board do their work and they're actually paying their bills and, and paying rent and doing things like that. Like this goes back to the uh, the whole, can you make a living off this question that, that happened earlier? Um, you know, if you're living in a place like that, you actually can at this point and, and a lot of people are. But what we see them do is, is basically de-risk their testing by going after lower priority issues. Like there's a lot of people from places like that that can actually achieve some pretty critical stuff. But, you know, they're doing it because they need to pay the rent. Or, or pay their parents' rent, or whatever else. So they they turn it into a uh, into a business for them personally, as opposed to a hobby. Um, so this is kind of maybe I was sort of okay, but uh, it's a slightly different or similar question. Is it like uh, in consulting a lot? We were we were given access to source code. Do you think there's any like downside of that in bug bounty programs where people don't have access to internal documentation or yeah. Nature. yeah, I think, I mean, we, we, we do a bunch of stuff. Like one of the things the bug crowd does with people that work on the platform is we understand how much we trust them over time. So like there's, there's skills on one side and then there's trust, right? You can be a really good hacker, but someone who ultimately trusted with stuff like that. And the reverse is true as well. You can be someone who's not very skilled, um, but who's absolutely trustworthy. So we try to keep track of both um, and, and, and make an assessment on that. And you know, the thing that we've we've seen with companies that have you know given out documentation or source code or more like making it look more like a white box thing than than just pure black box, which is kind of the you know default um, of, of bug bounties right now. Like people love it, and and it gets better results. So I do think like being able to move in that direction is always a good thing where it's possible. But you have to to make sure that the folks that you're giving that information to can be trusted with it. Um, that's definitely one thing. Like so, like I'm white boxing is my is my preference. But um, obviously, a lot of you know getting a white box text, test through a bug bounty is quite difficult without having that black box reputation. Um, how common is it to get white box uh, testing? Like, do you, is it a lot of companies doing it, or is it just like the ones who know that they need it, or like you advising people that they need it? Yeah, it's it's the minority. I think ultimately it comes down to it's the people that trust us to make that call for them. Because when you think about it, when you get a white box test from a third party, right, you're trusting that company to trust its employees in a way that makes you feel comfortable with letting that stuff out the door. You know, with, with, with crowdsourcing, it freaks people out because it's such a distributed model and hackers are scary and all this other stuff. 
So, you know, we've got a bit of a, a higher bar to, to jump over there, I think. Um, yeah, so in terms of what we're actually seeing, like there's some that do it. It's definitely not the majority at this point, but we're trying to push it in that direction because we think it's a good thing. Yeah, it's definitely the case where if I say I'm a company, I don't know that much about security and I know that my code is my intellectual property and that's how I make my money. My business makes my money from that's my code. Thing. Yeah, I've got to give it to a stranger. Like, what up with that? Like, you know, like yeah, yeah, no, totally. But you know, <laughs> like, I, I guess the flip of that, and when we're talking about it, it's like, well, you already do that. Like, if you contract a consultancy to come in and look at your stuff, that same trust in in them. So, you know, what we need to do is demonstrate that you can trust us with how we make assessments of of how trustworthy people in the crowd are to the same degree. And like that's you know that's again an art, not a science at this point. Um, but we're making some progress because ultimately it's it's the same people all of the time. It's pretty funny too. Just pop the box, steal the sauce yourself. All good. Pop the CICD. We're done. There's also that. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's like accidental white box testing. Yeah. I'm just I'm like uh, at times I've had different. You know. Some, some companies provide more information, some don't really care. Some can't even get their documentation together to get to hand it out. Um, and it's just, uh, it can help like on the first stages to kind of figure out what's going on and where to start, so. No, I mean, like the, the more you can know about what you're trying to attack, the better. Like that's just true. So, yeah, you know, I, I think getting, uh, getting organizations to a position where they're more comfortable with doing that with with folk that are out in the crowd. Um, you know, that's something that we're working towards and, and there are people that do it today. It's just not uh, a, a kind of a common thing yet. Are there, any, guar I'm sorry. Um, are there any guarantees for, for companies like that? I mean, do you have NDAs for people who provided information that, that type of, so that's the other thing like when you say bug bounty i think people you know generally assume you're talking about a public program where everyone's invited and and off it goes like that um you know the kinds of programs where there's sensitive information being given out or there's like increased privilege or access to to systems you know that's different from from what you could get off the internet um in peacetime you know, that stuff should always be run privately, in my mind. Um, NDAs and, and like non-disclosure around the vulnerabilities, but also the fact that the program's even going on is, is, a, is a thing. Yeah, and I guess at that point, then you're just making another consultancy. So uh, can we uh, change gears a little bit here and talk about the black market? Like, the, the infamous black market where hackers can sell their exploits. You know, I, I would love to hear your perspective on this whole situation. The dark web? <laughs> I mean, uh, as a good starting point, maybe, uh, have, have you uh, noticed the black market for bugs and vulnerabilities uh, trending up or down in response to things like bug crowd? Bug crowd, sorry. <laughs> but you saw, um, you know, Zerodium go out and do yeah. their basically equivalent of an offensive bug bounty program. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to say, like, the whole idea of, like, black market, 
white market, whatever else, like to me, that's too confusing. I, I think about it in terms of offense and defense, right? Like you're, you're disclosing and being paid for a bug or for knowledge of a bug for the purpose of either killing that bug or keeping it alive. Like to me, that's the easiest way to kind of break it down and talk about it. Cause you know, is the yeah. NSA, uh, a, you know, a black hat organization? Like the answer is it depends on which side of the gun you happen to be sitting <laughs> on at any point in time. So it gets pretty vague pretty quickly, but yeah, like offensive stuff. Um, yeah, we, we, we've seen that, you know, we've seen an uptick in, in, in that type of thing. I think, you know, the big distinction to draw there is is that hosted platforms um, are very different from, from code that gets distributed and installed per user. So if you're talking about the difference between, you know, Facebook and like an iPhone, there's a there's a pretty big delta in, in what you can get paid for a bug in each one of those because of what you're able to do with them, right? And also because the time to live for a platform is so much shorter. Like Facebook needs to fix it in one place, then it's done. Like Apple needs to go off and do testing and 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 whatever else, and then roll it out to you know the part of their population that will actually install a patch and not hit like install later. Um, actually, like all of that affects the the ultimate offensive value of a vulnerability. So um, I think what we've done is is you know really brought more of that conversation out into the open because I think prior to the establishment of a defensive vulnerability market and an economy, um, this was all happening, like this has been going on for a long time in the offensive space, um, but it hasn't really been talked about, right? So this is kind of bringing that chat out into the open, which I think is interesting. Uh, it's, you know, we're learning a lot as we go along. That's one of the big reactions that's, that's kind of come about from us popping up onto the scene. Cool, I think MG had something else, but he's, uh, he's muted. Yeah, this got really quiet. No, I mean, that, that definitely answers a lot of the offensive stuff. I have something, I, I don't want to necessarily jump off the uh, offensive topic right away, but if there's nothing else, um, I did want to go back to what was it the uh, the safe harbor. You're kind of mentioning that. I guess the gist of it was ultimately that once we get enough momentum, it just becomes a norm and everybody does it. But that's not the case right now. I think it's a really good thing to start pushing for. And yep. I, I'm just curious what you've seen in terms of pushback. Uh, has there been anybody? Is, are some legal teams giving specific reasons why it just is not going to work for them right now? Um, I, I think legal teams broadly don't spend a lot of time working on this type of thing. And they don't really understand it. Yeah. So, so you know, in lieu of that, they they kind of trend towards being defensive. <laughs> is really what it comes down to. So, like any kind of changes around contractual safe harbor language to make hackers feel safer and to make the whole you know transaction of information uh, clean and safe on both sides they can be in a position where they say, well, hang on a sec, CFAA has our ass in the first place, so let's just rely on that, then that's going to be their tendency because it's just easier. Yep. Um, so, you know, it, it does need more work and, and more pressure, frankly, to, to kind of push it in that direction. I mean, I think the other thing with, with Safe Harbor, it's not really high on the radar of, of the average bug hunter right now. 
Like, yeah. I think there's a bunch of people that have been around in this space for a long time who get it, who actually get the implications of what we're talking about here and how it plays out in the future. And they're starting to get, you know, pretty, you know, trying to push it forward and make it happen. But the yeah. average hunter who's joining the space right now doesn't really care. Um, sure. So, you know, th there is that as well. So there's not kind of a, a, a forcing pressure aside from people like me, you know, like, we're working on, you know, we, we actually launched a, um, uh, you know, essentially a uh, open source, like vulnerability disclosure template um, three years ago that we're actually rebooting at the moment. Like there's a lot of work that's starting to go into that from, from people in the space that actually get how this becomes pretty critical as, as it goes forward. Um, but I don't, I don't think we've hit the point where the pain of like staying the same is you know, more than the pain of change. Okay. So um, just to, again, switch it up a little bit, um, uh, like just looking through the um, sort of uh, public bounties and, and uh, programs that have been running as well, I noticed there's like a shitload of web app stuff and a little bit of IoT stuff, a little bit of, you know, cars and that kind of thing. Um, I know like HackerOne did planes and stuff at one point for a private Thing. Yeah, um, we did GoGo we did -Go for a bit there as well, which was fun. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Like, all, all awesome stuff. Um, but how, like, when it comes to disclosing a vulnerability that requires, like, like you must have a Blade RF that has, you know, configured in this way with this this FPG, FPGA module run, like, how do you, like, are there any, or do you see many bugs that require, like, a lot of hardware type stuff, like Proxmox and, and, and stuff like that? Um, no, to be honest, because I think like ultimately what it boils down to, like what we're spending most of our time on, you could break out into web, mobile, um, you know, network or infrastructure and then IoT. And like the latter, like the last two require or, or are helped if you've got your own test environment that you can spin stuff up on. But, you know, it's, it's not really like ultimately they're all either Linux or Windows boxes that, you know, have, have stuff sitting on top of them and, and, you know, people know how to hack that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, you know, that's kind of where things are up to right now. I think when you start to get into automotive security, you've got some people that are getting into like and, and like self-driving capability, Bluetooth, like Wi-Fi, stuff like that, which is when you start to get a little bit more sophisticated to your question. Um, but yeah, that's that's more the exception than the rule at this point, I'd say. Right, so are those companies though, like other companies, like are the, the companies doing that stuff actually putting out programs or nah, it's just all web dudes mostly? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think the thing is that there's a lot of websites out there. So like this kind of goes to the, the, the right. point yeah. I was making earlier around the idea that like XSS is most of what bug hunters find, yeah. It's because it's everywhere, right? I think the same thing applies to web. There's there's a lot more of that, um, and there's a lot in that particular area than there are in in others right now. So that's that's you know part of the reason for that. But yeah, I think you know that's where that's where you know bug bounty hunting kind of started. It was you know Netscape and Facebook and Google and those folk that kind of long before we came along, um, they kind of set the initial sail. Of, of this concept and it's moving across into other things. Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. I mean, uh, it, it would be 
it'd be crazy to see like you know in scope is this like SCADA system that is an industrial you know industrial <laughs> network that runs like a factory but oh yeah don't send any rom commands you'll cause an explosion yeah like, that's, I mean, just, that's the, the thing is that most is, like, SCADA it's really system that's awesome, right <laughs> Yeah, Most yeah, like data systems like... are hidden behind firewalls, but websites are always exposed. That's true. It's true, but we, we still want to analyze infrastructure eventually at some point, right? I mean, this kind of gets into the white box versus public. I mean, Whatever. with bug bounties, people usually don't actually let you into their network. They just set you, let you sit out outside and, and knock, the, knock at the door. Yep. And I think, you know, part of the answer to that from, from my perspective is we'd like to eat the whole elephant right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, part of it comes down to, okay, like, how is this evolving and, and where, are the, uh, where are the things that, you know, like, what types of testing, what kind of use cases, what kind of, you know, needs are there in the market that we can attack first that are easiest and that are most likely to successful result. Um, in a way that uh, you know drives the whole thing forward, because the other side of this is that you know, broad, broadly speaking, like companies are still terrified of hackers. So like you go out there and say, hey, we want people to come in from the outside world and, and basically give you security feedback. Like that concept in and of itself is is horrendous to most people that you bring it to for the first time, right? Yeah. So the whole idea of like, okay, let's go after the people that are doing it well. That there's you know some sort of you know kind of referenceable success out there in other places that we can point to and and kind of build it up from there. Um, I do think it'll get there. Like I think the whole idea, you know, one of the things that was really interesting was was watching the automotive industry switch on to bug bounties right after Charlie and Chris did the Jeep thing, right? Because um, all of a sudden they're like, shit, hang on a sec. <laughs> like we're more vulnerable than we thought we were. And here's a pretty public demonstration of that. But then also what they learned was, you know, the fact that um, that input and that feedback that ultimately made their product better came from the outside world. It wasn't from employees of the company or whatever else. It was from folk that were sitting there doing research, you know, outside of the four walls of their organization. So at that point, it validated this idea that throwing out the net a little bit more broadly to people that could give that kind of input and actually inviting it and encouraging it, making it safe. Um, that's something that is a good idea. And, you know, the automotive industry and bug bounties went from basically not doing anything to, to doing a lot um, over the course of about six months. Just to point out on that as well, like if you are interested in car stuff, like a can tax uh, for doing CAN bus stuff is 75 bucks. So like get one of those and go plug it into your car and see what you can do. <laughs> yeah, and you can also play with that. TNC 3.2, I think, is the latest one that has a CAN bus, and then 3.6 has dual CAN bus. I was playing around with a bunch yeah. of that. It's like 30 bucks. You just got a microcontroller interface to do spamming. Stuff yeah, right. Car, the stuff from carloop.io is pretty cool as well. Um, that's that's who we've talked to a lot about that kind of thing. It's interesting with car hacking because I think um, you know car hacking as a, as a term has been around for a bunch of time, but it means you know people tweaking their their um, ECUs or their you know systems in their cars to insurers and stuff like that. It hasn't been around security, so you've got people yeah. that have been messing around with software and cars for ages who are now starting to think about security, apply themselves like that, which is pretty fun. 
Hey, so Casey, I had something that I wanted to bring up about, uh, we discussed before you got on here, um, about companies that do, um, like just strictly points and thanks, um, in their programs and just how, I guess a couple of us had different opinions on, on how it actually go about those kind of things, because there might be some sort of big vulnerability that you have, but you kind of maybe want to get paid if you find something that like could give you like root creds on something, you know? Um, how do you, I guess, how do you sort of deal with that and, and how people actually approach those programs? Like, how do you, uh, I guess, what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think, you know, like vulnerability disclosure, when, when you think about the idea of just being able to get input from hackers, there's no cash involved in that. Um, yeah. but it's something that should happen, right? So, yeah, that's, that's where the whole points and thanks and, and whatever else thing comes in because, that's historically what's happened. Like, you know, Google had their leaderboard, like Facebook had that. Um, really, when we kicked off Bug Crowd, we looked f for a way to, to appropriate all into something that could scale across multiple companies instead of just mm -hmm. being for one, right? Um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, paying for bugs that are really critical, like something that we're starting to see do more is they'll run a, a VD program with um, with with points only, right? So they're not going out and committing to paying for anything. But if something comes in that's really really cool, um, we'll actually highlight that to them and say, "Hey, this is this is a great bug. Like this is not just someone you know out there doing kind of QA on your stuff. Like this is someone who's put a lot of effort into you know helping you get more secure." And um, oftentimes they'll actually pay for it. So like it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I say that with some reservation because I don't think that's something that people should expect, but it is happening more. And, um, you know, in general, I think, you know, the whole push from from the platform providers to, to get people to reward issues that, that are significant, you know, that's what we're always trying to do. Like we want to get money out to you guys to, to help you you know, pay your bills and keep the lights on and do all that stuff, but also to encourage you to do more of this stuff so we can make the internet better. So it's one of those ones where, again, it's it's a work in progress, but um, that's kind of where it's up to right now. Cool, oh, I can buy Bitcoin. <laughs> so um, if, if I could just um, pose, pose a question to you. If, say, say I have a bug. That's, that's what I'm here for. Say I have a bug in um, something, and I don't, I don't feel comfortable approaching that company with the bug. D do you think that there is like a space where someone can act as like a proxy between me and the company to sort of have this sort of transaction take place? despite the fact that they haven't agreed to be like have a bug bounty in the first place. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, there, there already is. I mean, that's, that's really the function of, of certs, right? Like when you talk about, you know, cert us, cert CC, um, cert, that's their job. Like that's actually what they're there to do. Um, and what they were kind of commissioned to do in the first place. Um, they're also kind of slow, so I can understand why that would be, you know, potentially frustrating for people that are in that position. 
so yeah i mean reaching out to folk like us and saying hey we've we've had to do that a fair bit because i think you know based on what we're doing proactively for for companies that you know go out there and say yes you're encouraged to do this and here's the channel it kind of that will help out if if there's a reactive situation um and and really you know the priority that we take in that in that kind of conversation is to make sure that everyone's staying safe from a legal standpoint because you know the the challenge to doing that depending on what you've you've hacked and found a bug in you know oftentimes you're in violation of some sort of law uh because there isn't you know a, a kind of a exemption that's been put out there to say that your testing is safe so that's the first thing um <clears throat> i do think you know the idea of it's funny because like vulnerable disclosure and, and like testing for uh, for vulnerabilities in, in web apps is becoming a little bit like jaywalking. Like it's still technically illegal, but you can kind of get away with it. Um, so it's one of those ones where prefer to see is for organizations to go out there and say, no, here's us telling the hackers that they are like green lighted to go out, go off and look for this stuff. And if they find it, then this is how it will respond. For uh, for Australia, I believe that uh, one of the relevant laws states that if you scan a, a server, if you scan something, which included war dialing, considering the age, I'm fairly fairly sure that Probably. if you scan it and and you find nothing, um, that's okay. But if you scan it and you find something, whether that you exploit it or not, that could be considered a crime. But it all comes down really to uh, a: Did anybody notice you? B: Were you reported to the police? And what is their just like? What is their um, take on it? So like, were, was your intent criminal or was your intent not criminal? And now there's no guarantees on any of that. And I don't know anybody who's ever been prosecuted in Australia for port scanning, but it's it's still a thing and it's in a law book somewhere that somebody could pull up. So it's good to know about, you know. It's it's definitely important to understand that. Like like ultimately, if you're going out looking for injections in sites that don't invite you to do that, like you're you're basically at risk. Um, so you know, and and like, is that the right thing or the wrong thing? That's not really what we're talking about right now. Like we're talking about whether or not that's that's legal, and if you as the hacker are in a position where you're exposing yourself to danger. So yeah, I mean that's it's a it's a good thing to call out. Do, do you and think, think at you some know, point I, 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 in the future that uh, these um, sort of bugs that people find could be rewarded? Potentially, I I, I, I do. Um, you know, I think the, the the thing to be cautious of there is that you know it turns the conversation. Like when you think about it, if you if you're running a company, right, you've never interacted with a hacker on the outside world before and then someone reaches out and says hey i found something and by the way i'd like you to pay us for it um it's pretty confronting like that's that's a that's a pretty scary situation for them to be in and that i think is actually the uh, the kind of the seed for a lot of you know the the silly stuff you see go down when when people try to do that right it's not so much about whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing or whether they should pay or don't or, you know, whatever. It's, it's about the fact that, you know, companies that haven't thought ahead around this whole idea um, and who are dealing with it reactively, you know, are generally pretty terrified of, of, of the interaction because hackers are scary people. 
like I read it on the internet somewhere. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's like if you turned it around and you said like, um, you know, if you put in the situation where you contacted someone and said, "Hey, I have the password to your email. Pay me." They're gonna be like, "Oh, this is extortion! I'm calling the cops." Like, you know what I mean? It's it's it, that's basically how they're seeing it. It it functionally is, and I think the the thing is that you know this goes to, I mean, like the the thing I always call out is if if you jump on like Google image search and 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 search for hackers, you get a bunch of really scary looking shit coming up, right? Like that's that's what people that aren't in our sphere perceive us as to recognize that for a second because it, it's like okay these conversations are inherently intimidating and confronting for people that are on the receiving end and that's the starting point like should it evolve from that absolutely like are we working on trying to make that happen for sure but does it make it not scary today no it doesn't like that's that's really the starting point of of how this all looks so you know just being aware of the fact that that's a, that's you know basically true and will continue to be true for a while i believe um, that's that's a good thing. Ironically, we're speaking on Thug Crowd. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, like we make shirts that say "My other computer is your computer," right? And like <laughs> it's 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 deliberately like this, this intrigue and fascination um, in this whole area of like hacking and breaking into stuff and and things that are mysterious to people that aren't in this space but also trying not to be too scary as we're doing it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's part of what we need to actually, you know, be mindful of at, at this point. Because, you know, where where we are right now, like the conversation around <clears throat> being able to accept the input of the white hat hacker community across the board or like any hackers, like forget about the hat, um, people that are giving you information that you can use to make your company safer, right? Like there's been incredible progress in that, I believe, over the past you know five or six years, but it's still early. Like it's still not normal. It's still fragile. I think uh, so, yeah. John Long, Johnny Long, had that um, I Hack Charity shirt that went out, and people took that both ways. Some pe people who got it were like, "Oh my God, so good! You had charities and whatever. That's great work." And everybody else was just like, "You fucking piece of shit! You hack charities, you jerk!" <laughs> Yeah. Like, and like, like, no, 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 no. I, I help no. people. Yeah. Goes down to it's the kind of, whole. It's kind of dumb. Yeah. You have to explain what you're doing before you explain who you're doing it to. <laughs> yeah, and it, it comes down to the whole like definition of hacker that's been going on for longer than I've been alive, frankly. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a thing. Like people don't really understand what we do outside of our sphere and and that's it's good to know that i i guess like does that suck do we want to try to change it and make it better absolutely but it's good to first i think acknowledge it and just realize that that's a true thing and then figure out where to go from there i think it's really interesting actually you mentioned um the definition war being longer than you know we've been alive it's kind of like um you know like it's uh People coming into security now, getting cybersecurity degrees at university, popping out and being like cookie cutter pen testers, they don't always realize that uh, there would be no white hats if there were no black hats. Yeah, there is that. Like, you know, you, you can, 
they forget to think offensively because like you wouldn't even have a bank pass like a, a password on your bank account or email or phone or anything if nobody was going to try and break into it. And I at mean, that we, point, I said on that point, I'd just like to thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, get into like art or something. I don't know. But yeah, I, you're absolutely right. Like without without an attacker, there's no point to have defense. Um, the attackers are out there and bad shit happens so here we are I mean it exists so bad shit will happen sure so um, I guess do you have any like final, as we're starting to get towards the end of this do you have any sort of final words to people who are thinking who like I feel like there's a lot of, of people who want to become researchers they want to do this kind of stuff and, and they have the skills for it but they might not have I guess the they don't think that they can actually do it um, so I guess do you have any sort of words of encouragement for people who do tinker and play around but should probably do something that would kind of help them hone their skills and actually develop real security uh, like skill set for sure I mean I think you know first up um, encouragement like I didn't think I could build a business like this right so so you know I think we're, we're all capable of stuff that surprises us and and we don't know unless we try you know starting kind of motivational thing there but it's it's ultimately true like you don't you don't figure out that you're good at a thing until you give it a shot um so i i do encourage everyone i meet who's interested in this space regardless of you know how i perceive their technical skill or whatever else to just get in there and try like go put some effort into it and see what happens I think you know. To me, the, the the most valuable thing to uh, to understanding how to how to improve your skills, you know, especially in this space, is is you know community. It's it's learning peers, learning from your mentors, learning from people that you look up to, learning from people that you're trying to teach. Um, you know, all of that stuff. Like that's that's really how you refine your skills over time. So so getting involved. In the hacking community, understanding its culture because it's pretty quirky. <laughs> Sorry, MJ, I just submitted you. Hey, I, so I got just one quick thing. I don't think we've touched on it much, um, and I know we're a little crunched for time. But there's a, as far as like upward trending of payouts and stuff, um, that's obviously like a win-win for everybody, pretty much, except for the companies that are paying out, I suppose. Um, how does that, that seems to be going in the right direction lately? Um, how do you we kind of keep that momentum going though? Um, yeah, I think the, the the companies that you know we put a fair bit of work into into helping the people that we work with on the company side understand that this is a marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you're going out and trying to attract information and effort then you know the more you put on the table to do that what you'll get um, and you have to balance that out because you don't want to be kind of irrational with with how you do that but there is this kind of increasing kind of payout thing you know basically what we do is we say okay once your once your bugs drop below a certain level you should increase your rewards because yeah. what it means is that you've basically graduated um, the, the tier of uh, interest, like you've, you've become more secure 
then mm-hmm. you know the kind of incentive you're providing is able to to flush out flaws in, right? And that's a good thing. So you should yeah. continue to do that. You know, one of the things that we're seeing, which is really cool, is is people starting to uh, use their their rewards and and how they've structured those rewards as a proxy indicator of the cost to attack the business as a whole, and and actually reporting mm-hmm. that up to the board, right? Like it's not a perfect thing, but it it correlates in some ways, and it's, it's an interesting data point. So, yeah, we're putting a fair bit of pressure to keep you know companies. Um, increasing their rewards as they resolve these issues and as they get better at not introducing them in the first place going forward. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, th- there is definitely that. Like, I, I've always been wary of this idea of, of creating a, a bug bubble, so to speak. Like, I've seen, you know, programs come out elsewhere where, um, you know, they're paying out $500 as a minimum um, and, and get completely hosed and blow through their budget in like a month because they've got, you know, oh, I see. or just yeah. silly stuff around the place. So you have to approach it rationally. But to me, like what a goal, what the goal of a successful bug bounty program should be is to see those rewards increase almost in perpetuity, right? Um, yeah. That's the mechanics of, of the model and, and like the game theory behind it. So we're, we're, we're pretty deliberate about explaining that to folk and, and helping them understand that. Like there's things in the platform that, you know, remind program owners of that as they go along. It's a reflection of, of you know, companies doing this for longer and increasing their rewards and, and still obviously finding bugs because they're always going to be there. Um, but also I think it's, it's a reflection of the more critical stuff. So, you know, this whole idea of, 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 you know, being able to go in and, um, you know, produce higher impacts uh, because that's what you're capable of as a tester. I think that's becoming better understood in the community as well. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And I, I think one of the things I've noticed is uh, there's there's a few accounts on Twitter and stuff that uh, put out details of bug bounties when they're able to. Um, and I didn't even realize this for the longest time, but those are sometimes delayed by years. Um, Can be, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, so, like, one of the reasons there is that sometimes things take a long time to fix. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Like, you, you, Especially you talk, if it's critical, you know? <laughs> or, you know, if you're talking about a, a, a bug that has its root cause in a, like a 50-year-old COBOL program, um, you know, and the yeah. developer died 20 years ago. Like that literally happens. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's yeah, one of those yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> some of that stuff, it is a thing, um, but it still should be, you know, ultimately like that's another thing around disclosure of issues when they're fixed. Like not everyone's ready to do that yet, um, but we encourage it wherever, wherever we can. And sometimes people do, which is good. It's great. Hey, so just to jump off the technical stuff for a second um, as we're finishing up. So DEF CON is obviously coming up. A whole bunch of us are going to be there. You're going to be there. Um, you are throwing a number of parties that have RSVPs open. Did you, uh, you want to talk about some of this? Missed that last part. You dropped out. Did, did you want to tell people to, uh, to, to RSVP and arrive at all those sick parties that are, that are going down or what? Dump it in the uh, in the channel. Yeah, we've we've got a bunch of stuff. There's there's a you know obviously the um, the front end of the week is more suit and tie, and the back end of the week is more kind of hoodie and, and t-shirt. Um, <laughs> uh, you know we're we're throwing a party with Dulcor at the Roadhouse. I think on Wednesday night. 
Um, we've got, yeah, there's a ton of stuff going on. Like we're sponsoring QueerCon this year, which will be oh, awesome. Wow. Uh, and, and oh, yeah. Everyone should, should get along to that because I think it's it's a good thing. Um, and yeah, there's there's a ton going on. So I'll, I'll dump that in. We've got like a list of stuff. I actually like legit can't remember it at this point because it's such a massive list of stuff that goes on. I'm simultaneously excited and terrified for Vegas at this point. <laughs> as as uh, one should be. As, yeah, as, I, think, I think if you don't approach Vegas with that kind of mindset, then you're in for a bad time. So yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely worried about that. <laughs> well, thanks very much for, for coming on and, uh, you know, talking to us about all this stuff. I know that we um, were talking yesterday and just seen a lot of different opinions and, and takes on bug bounties and things. So really appreciate you taking in all of our questions and uh, talking. Please come, please come back too. This is great. Okay. Yeah. I'll come back nice and hang out and lurk and do do the things. It's a pleasure to meet you guys and to have a chat. Um, yeah, and like good questions as well. I think you know what I love about this space is it's it's really it's driven by the community. It's driven by people who kind of see the potential and and see what's possible. Understand that it's not perfect, um, but want to try to figure out how to make it better and push it forward. And that's really what this is all about. So yeah, it's been a really fun chat. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for hanging out. We'll uh, jump off the stream now, um, but tune in on uh, Tuesday. We are going to be talking to Mainframe D seven six seven, aka Soldier of Fortran, about mainframe hacking. So it's something that I barely know. I don't know anything about it, so I'm really excited to, to hear what he has to say. And I know a lot of us here uh, know the legends, but do not know the details. So. That's a super obscure thing that I think a lot of us don't know about. That's going to be good. It's going to be sweet. So thanks and see you guys Tuesday. Appreciate it.